1. A Textbook of the History of Painting by John C. Van Dyke, LHD Professor of the History of Art in Rutgers College and author of Art for Art's Sake, The Meaning of Pictures, etc. Longmans, Green, and Company 91 and 93 Fifth Avenue, New York, London, Bombay, and Calcutta 1909 Copyright, 1894, by Longmans, Green, and Company Preface. The object of this series of textbooks is to provide concise teachable histories of art for classroom use in schools and colleges. The limited time given to the study of art in the average educational institution has not only dictated the condensed style of the volumes, but has limited their scope of matter to the general features of art history. Archaeological discussions on special subjects and aesthetic theories have been avoided. The main facts of history as settled by the best authorities are given. If the reader choose to enter into particulars the bibliography cited at the head of each chapter will be found helpful. Illustrations have been introduced as cite help to the text. And, to avoid repetition, abbreviations have been used wherever practicable. The enumeration of the principal extant works of an artist, school, or period, and where they may be found, which follows each chapter, may be serviceable not only as a summary of individual or school achievement but for reference by traveling students in Europe. This volume on painting, the first of the series, omits mention of such work in Arabic, Indian, Chinese, and Persian art as may come properly under the head of ornament a subject proposed for separate treatment hereafter. In treating of individual painters it has been thought best to give a short critical estimate of the man and his rank among the painters of his time rather than the detailed facts of his life. Students who wish accounts of the lives of the painters should use Vasari, Larousse and the Encyclopedia Britannica in connection with this textbook. Acknowledgements are made to the respective publishers of Waldman and Wowerman's History of Painting, and the fine series of art histories by Perrot and Chippies. For permission to reproduce some few illustrations from these publications, John C. Van Dyke, Table of Contents, List of Illustrations General Bibliography Introduction Chapter I Egyptian Painting Chapter II, C-H-A-L-D-A-E-O Assyrian, Persian, Phoenician, C-Y-P-R-I-O-D-E, and Asia Minor Painting Chapter I-I-I, Greek, E-D-R-U-S-C-A-N, and Roman Painting Chapter I-D, Italian Painting Early Christian and Medieval Period, 200-1250, Chapter V Italian Painting Gothic Period, 1250-1400, Chapter V-I, Italian Painting Early Renaissance, 1400-1500, Chapter V-I-I, Italian Painting Early Renaissance, 1400-1500, Continued Chapter VIII, Italian Painting High Renaissance, 1500-1600 Chapter IX, Italian Painting High Renaissance, 1500-1600, Continued Chapter X Italian Painting High Renaissance, 1500-1600, Continued Chapters I, Italian Painting The Decadence and Modern Work, 1600-1894 Chapter XII, French Painting 16th, 17th, and 18th Centuries Chapter XII, French Painting 19th Century Chapter XIV, French Painting 19th Century, Continued Chapter XV, Spanish Painting Chapter XVI, Flemish Painting Chapter XVII, Dutch Painting Chapter XVII, German Painting Chapter XIX, British Painting Chapter XX, American Painting Postscript Index List of Illustrations, Velasquez, Head of Aesop, Madrid Frontispiece One Hunting in the Marshes, Tomb of Tea, Sakuratu Portrait of Queen Taya Three Offerings to the Dead, Wall Painting Four Vignette on Papyrus Five Enameled Brick, Nimrod Six, Cursadod Seven Wild Ass, Vies Relief Eight Lions Freeze, 
Susa 9 painted head from Abessa 10 Cypriote vase decoration 11 Etic grave painting 12 Muse of Cortoma 13 Odyssey landscape 14 and 4 Lower Italy 15 Ritual scene Palatine wall painting 16 Portrait Fayoum Groff collection 17 Chamber in catacombs With wall decorations 18 Catacomb fresco S. Cecilia 19 Christ as Good Shepherd Ravenna Mosaic 20 Christ and Saints Fresco S. Generosa 21 Ezekiel before the Lord, Misillumination 20 to Jotto, Flight into Egypt, Arena Chap, 23 Orcagna, Paradise Detail, S.M. Novella 24 Lorenzetti, Peace Detail, Siena 25 Fra Angelico, Angel, Uffizi 26 Fra Filippo, Madonna, Uffizi 27 Botticelli, Coronation of Madonna, Uffizi 28 Ghirlandaio, Visitation, Louvre 29 Francesca, Duke of Urbino, Uffizi 30 Signorelli, The Cursed Detail, Orvieto 31 Perugino, Madonna, Saints, and Angels, Louvre 32 School of Francia, Madonna, Louvre 33 Mantegna, Gonzaga Family Group, Mantua 34 B. Vivarini, Madonna and Child, Turin 35 Giovanni Bellini, Madonna, Venice Acad, 36 Carpaccio, Presentation Detail, Venice Acad. 37 Antomelo di A. Messina, Unknown Man, Louvre 38 Fra Bartolomeo, Descent from Cross, Penny 39 Andrea del Sardo, Madonna of St. Francis, Uffizi 40 Michelangelo, Athlete, Sistine Chap, Rome 41 Raphael, Lobel Jardinier, Louvre 42 Giulio Romano, Apollo and Muses, Penny 43 Leonardo di Avenci, Mona Lisa, Louvre 44 Luini, Daughter of Herodias, Uffizi 45 Sodoma, Ecstasy of St. Catherine, Siena 46 Correggio, Marriage of St. Catherine, Louvre 47 Giorgioni, Ordeal of Moses, Uffizi 48 Titian, Venus Equipping Cupid, Borghese, Rome 49 Tintorito, Mercury and Graces, Ducal Pell, Venice 50 Veronese, Venice Enthroned, Ducal Pell, Venice 51 Lotto, Three Ages, Penny 52 Bronzino, Christ in Limbo, Uffizi 53 Baracho, Annunciation 54 Annibale Caraxide, Entombment of Christ, Louvre 55 Caravaggio, The Card Players, Dresden 56 Poussaf, and in Arcadia Ego, Louvre 57 Claude Lorraine, Flight into Egypt, Dresden 58 Watto, Gilles, Louvre 59 Duchesne, Pastoral, Louvre 60 David, The Sabines, Louvre 61 Ingres, Oedipus and Sphinx, Louvre 62 Delacroix, Massacre of Cyril, Louvre 63 Jerome, Paulus Verso 64 Coro, Landscape 65 Rousseau, Charcoal Burner's Hut, Fuller Collection 66 Millet, The Gleaners, Louvre 67 Cabanel, Phaedra 68 Mysomere, Napoleon in 1814-69 Sanchez Silo, Daughter of Philip II, Madrid 70 Murillo, Saint Anthony of Padua, Dresden 71 Ribera, St. Agnes, Dresden 72 Fortuny, Spanish Marriage 73 Madrazo, and Mask 74 Van Edicts, St. Devon Alterpiece, Berlin 75 Memling, St. Lawrence, Nat, Downlon, 76 Massace, Head of Virgin, Antwerp 77 Rubens, Portrait of Young Woman 78 Van Dyck, Portrait of Cornelius Van Deer just 79 Tiners the Younger, Prodigal Son, Louvre 80 Alfred Stevens, on the beach 81 hells, portrait of a lady 82 Rembrandt, head of a woman, Nat, down long, 83 Roosteel, 
Landscape 84 comma, the water wheel, Amsterdam Muse, 85 Israels, alone in the world 86 Mauve, Sheep 87 Lochner, Estes, John, Catherine, Matthew, London 88 Waldschmutt, Crucifixion, Munich 89 Dewar, Praying Virgin, Augsburg 90 Holbein, Portrait, Hague Muse, 91 Piloty, Wise and Foolish Virgins 90 to Lyle, in Church 93 Menzel, a reader 94 Hogarth, shortly after marriage, Matt, Downlon, 95 Reynolds, Countess Spencer and Lord Althorpe 96 Gensborough, Blue Boy 97 Constable, Cornfield, Matt, Downlon, 98 Turner, Fighting to Marrier, Matt, Downlon, 99 Burn Jones, Flam of Estelize 100 Lagan, Helen of Troy 101 Watts, Love and Death 102 West, Peter Denying Christ, Hampton Court 103 Gilbert Stewart, Washington, Boston Muse, 104 Hunt, Loot Player 105 Eastman Johnson, Churning 106 Innes, Landscape 107 Winslow Homer, Underdo 108 Whistler, The White Girl 109 Sergeant, Carnation Lily, Lily Rose, 110 Chase, Alice, Art Institute, Chicago General Bibliography, this includes the leading accessible works that treat of painting in general. For works on special periods or schools, see the bibliographical references at the head of each chapter. For bibliography of individual painters consult, under proper names, Seanlin and Parkins' Cyclopedia, as given below. Seanlin and Parkins, Cyclopedia of Painters and Paintings, New York, Adline, Lexique des Termes d'Art, Gazette des Beaux-Arts, Paris, Larousse, Grand Dictionnaire Universal, Paris, Lord. Review Hebdomadary Lustre, Paris, Brian, Dictionary of Painters, New Edition, Brock House, Conversations Lexicon, Meyer, Ogmains Kunstler Lexicon, Berlin, Mufer, History of Modern Painting, Agincourt, History of Art by its Monuments, Bayet, Précis Histoire de Lourdes, Blank, Histoire des Painters de Tauts Els Ecoles, Eastlake, Materials for a History of Oil Painting, Lubka, History of Art, Trans, by Clarence Cook, Reber, History of Ancient Art, Reber, History of Medieval Art, Schnoss, Jeskitschte der Bildenden Kunst, Girard, Le Painter Antique, Viardot, History of the Painters of All Schools, Williamson Education Handbooks of Great Masters, Waldman and Wowerman, History of Painting, History of Painting, Introduction, The Origin of Painting is Unknown, The First Important Records of This Art Are Met With in Egypt, but before the Egyptian civilization the men of the early ages probably used color in ornamentation and decoration, and they certainly scratched the outlines of men and animals upon bone and slate. Traces of this rude primitive work still remain to us on the pottery, weapons, and stone implements of the cave dwellers, but while indicating the awakening of intelligence in early man, they can be reckoned with as art only in a slight archaeological way. They show inclination rather than accomplishment a wish to ornament or to represent with only a crude knowledge of how to go about it. The first aim of this primitive painting was undoubtedly decoration the using of colored forms for color and form only, as shown in the pottery designs or cross hatchings on stone knives or spear heads. The second, and perhaps later aim, was by imitating the shapes and colors of men, animals, and the like, to convey an idea of the proportions and characters of such things. An outline of a cave bear or a mammoth was perhaps the cave dweller's way of telling his fellows what monsters he had slain. We may assume that it was pictorial record.
primitive picture written history. This early method of conveying an idea island in intent, substantially the same as the later hieroglyphic writing and historical painting of the Egyptians. The difference between them is nearly one of development. Thus there is an indication in the art of primitive man of the two great departments of painting existent today. 1. Decorative painting. 2. Expressive painting. Pure decorative painting is not usually expressive of ideas other than those of rhythmical line and harmonious color. It is not our subject. This volume treats of expressive painting, but in dealing with that it should be borne in mind that expressive painting has always a more or less decorative effect accompanying it, and that must be spoken of incidentally. We shall presently see the intermingling of both kinds of painting in the art of ancient Egypt. Our first inquiry. Chapter I Egyptian Painting. Books Recommended. Brudge. History of Egypt under the Pharaohs, Budge, Dwellers on the Nile, Dunker, History of Antiquity, Egypt Exploration Fund Memoirs, Ellie, Manual of Archaeology, Lepsis, Denkmaler Ozegeiten and Aethiopen, Maspero, Life in Ancient Egypt and Assyria, Maspero, Guide du Visitor au Musée de Bulac, Maspero, Egyptian Archaeology, Perot and Chippies, History of Art in Ancient Egypt, Wilkinson, Manners and Customs of the Ancient Egyptians, Land and people, Egypt, as Herodotus has said, is the gift of the Nile, one of the latest of the Earth's geological formations, and yet one of the earliest countries to be settled and dominated by man. It consists now, as in the ancient days, of the valley of the Nile, bounded on the east by the Arabian mountains and on the west by the Libyan desert, well watered and fertile. It was doubtless at first a pastoral and agricultural country, then, by its riverine traffic a commercial country, and finally, by conquest, a land enriched with the spoils of warfare. Its earliest records show a strongly established monarchy. Dynasties of kings called pharaohs succeeded one another by birth or conquest. The king made the laws, judged the people, declared war, and was monarch supreme. Next to him in rank came the priests, who were not only in the service of religion but in that of the state, as counselors, secretaries, and the like. The common people with true oriental lack of individuality, depending blindly on leaders, were little more than the servants of the upper classes. The Egyptian religion existing in the earliest days was a worship of the personified elements of nature. Each element had its particular controlling god, worshipped as such. Later on in Egyptian history the number of gods was increased, and each city had its trinity of godlike protectors symbolized by the propylia of the temples. Future life was a certainty, provided that the ka, or spirit, did not fall a prey to Typhon, the god of evil, during the long wait in the tomb for the judgment day. The belief that the spirit rested in the body until finally transported to the Ong fields the islands of the blast, afterward adopted by the Greeks was one reason for the careful preservation of the body by mummifying processes. Life itself was not more important than death, hence the imposing ceremonies of the funeral and burial, the elaborate richness of the tomb and its wall paintings. Perhaps the first Egyptian art arose through religious observance, and certainly the first known to us was sepulchral. Art motives, the center of the Egyptian system was the monarch and his supposed relatives, the gods. They arrogated to themselves the chief thought of life, and the aim of the great bulk of the art was to glorify monarchy or deity. The massive buildings, still standing today in ruins, were built as the dwelling places of kings or the sanctuaries of gods. The towers symbolized deity. The sculptures and paintings recited the functional duties of presiding spirits, or the pharaoh's looks and acts. Almost everything about the public buildings in painting and sculpture was symbolic illustration. 
picture written history written with a chisel and brush, written large that all might read. There was no other safe way of preserving record. There were no books. The papyrus sheet, used extensively, was frail, and the Egyptians evidently wished their buildings, carvings, and paintings to last into eternity. So they wrought an end upon stone. The same hieroglyphic character of their papyrus writings appeared cut and colored on the palace walls, and above them and beside them the pictures ran as vignettes explanatory of the text. In a less ostentatious way the tombs perpetuated history in a similar manner, reciting the domestic scenes from the life of the individual, as the temples and palaces the religious and monarchical scenes. In one form or another it was all record of Egyptian life, but this was not the only motive of their painting. The temples and palaces, designed to shut out light and heat, were long squares of heavy stone, gloomy as the cave from which their plan may have originated. Carving and color were used to brighten and enliven the interior. The battles, the judgment scenes, the pharaoh playing at drafts with his wives, the religious rites and ceremonies, were all given with brilliant arbitrary color, surrounded oftentimes by bordering bands of green, yellow, and blue. Color showed everywhere from floor to ceiling. Even the explanatory hieroglyphic texts ran in colors, lining the walls and winding around the cylinders of stone, the lotus capitals, the frieze and architrave, all glowed with bright hues, and often the roof ceiling was painted in blue and studded with golden stars. All this shows a decorative motive in Egyptian painting, and how constantly this was kept in view may be seen at times in the arrangement of the different scenes, the large ones being placed in the middle of the wall and the smaller ones going at the top and bottom to act as a frieze and dado. There were, then, two leading motives for Egyptian painting, one history, monarchical, religious, or domestic, and two decoration, technical methods. Man in the early stages of civilization comprehends objects more by line than by color or light. The figure is not studied in itself, but in its sun shadow or silhouette. The Egyptian hieroglyph represented objects by outlines or arbitrary marks and conveyed a simple meaning without circumlocution. The Egyptian painting was substantially an enlargement of the hieroglyph. There was no attempt to place objects in the setting which they hold in nature. Perspective and light and shade were disregarded. Objects, of whatever nature, were shown in flat profile. In the human figure the shoulders were square, the hips slight, the legs and arms long, the feet and hands flat, the head, legs, and arms were shown in profile, while the chest and eye were twisted to show the flat front view. There are only one or two full-faced figures among the remains of Egyptian painting. After the outline was drawn the enclosed space was filled in with plain color. In the absence of highlight, or composed groups, prominence was given to an important figure, like that of the king, by making it much larger than the other figures. This may be seen in any of the battle pieces of Rames's I.I., in which the monarch in his chariot is a giant where his followers are mere pygmies. In the absence of perspective, Receding figures of men or of horses were given by multiplied outlines of legs, or heads, placed before, or after, or raised above one another. Flat water was represented by zigzag lines, placed as it were upon a map. One tree symbolized a forest, and one fortification a town. These outline drawings were not realistic in any exact sense. The face was generally expressionless. The figure, evidently done from memory or pattern did not reveal anatomical structure, but was nevertheless graceful, and in the representation of animals the sense of motion was often given with much truth. The color was usually an attempt at nature, though at times arbitrary or symbolic, as in the case of certain gods rendered with blue, yellow, 
or green skins. The backgrounds were always a flat color, arbitrary in hue, and decorative only. The only composition was a balance by numbers, and the processional scenes rose tier upon tier above one another in long panels. Such work would seem almost ludicrous did we not keep in mind its reason for existence. It was, first, symbolic storytelling art, and secondly, architectural decoration. As a storyteller it was effective because of its simplicity and directness. As decoration, the repeated expressionless face and figure, the arbitrary color, the absence of perspective were not inappropriate then nor are they now. Egyptian painting never was free from the decorative motive. Wall painting was little more than an adjunct of architecture, and probably grew out of sculpture. The early statues were colored, and on the wall the chisel, like the flint of primitive man, cut the outline of the figure. At first only this cut was filled with color, producing what has been called the coil anaglyphic. In the final stage the line was made by drawing with chalk or coal on prepared stucco, and the color, mixed with gum water a kind of distemper, was applied to the whole enclosed space. Substantially the same method of painting was used upon other materials, such as wood, mummy cartonage, papyrus, and in all its thousands of years of existence Egyptian painting never advanced upon or varied to any extent this one method of work. Historic periods, Egyptian art may be traced back as far as the 3rd or 4th Memphitic dynasty of kings. The date is uncertain, but it is somewhere near 3.500 BC. The seat of empire, at that time, was located at Memphis in Lower Egypt, and it is among the remains of this Memphitic period that the earliest and best painting is found. In fact, all Egyptian art, literature, language, civilization, seem at their highest point of perfection in the period farthest removed from us. In that earliest age the finest portrait busts were cut, and the painting, found chiefly in the tombs and on the mummy cases, was the attempted realistic with not a little of spirited individuality. The figure was rather short and squat, the face a little squarer than the conventional type afterward adopted, the action better, and the positions, attitudes, and gestures more truthful to local characteristics. The domestic scenes hunting, fishing, tilling, grazing were all shown in the one flat, plainless, shadowless method of representation, but with better drawing and color and more variety than appeared later on. Still, more or less conventional types were used, even in this early time and continued to be used all through Egyptian history. The Memphitic period comes down to the 11th dynasty. In the 15th dynasty comes the invasion of the so-called Hyksos, or shepherd kings. Little is known of the Hyksos, and, in painting, the next stage is the Theban period, which, culminated in Tegas, in Upper Egypt, with Ramses II, of the 19th dynasty. Painting had then changed somewhat both in subject and character. The time was one of great temple and palace building. And, though the painting of genre subjects in tombs and sepulchres continued, the general body of art became more monumental and subservient to architecture. Painting was put to a work on temple and palace walls, depicting processional scenes, either religious or monarchical, and vast in extent. The figure, too, changed slightly. It became longer, slighter, with a pronounced nose, thick lips, and long eye, from constant repetition, rather than any set rule or canon. This figure grew conventional, and was reproduced as a type in a mechanical and in varying manner for hundreds of years. It was, in fact, only a variation from the original Egyptian type seen in the tombs of the earliest dynasties. There was a great quantity of art produced during the Theban period, and of a graceful, decorative character, 
but it was rather monotonous by repetition and filled with established mannerisms. The Egyptian Rioli never was a free worker, never an artist expressing himself, but, for his day, a skilled mechanic following time-honored example. In the Cetic period the seat of empire was once more in Lower Egypt, and art had visibly declined with the waning power of the country. All spontaneity seemed to have passed out of it. It was repetition of repetition by poor workmen, and the simplicity and purity of the technique were corrupted by foreign influences. With the Alexandrian epic Egyptian art came in contact with Greek methods, and grew imitative of the new art, to the detriment of its own native character. Eventually it was entirely lost in the art of the Greco-Roman world. It was never other than conventional, produced by a method almost as unvarying as that of the hieroglyphic writing, and in this very respect characteristic and reflective of the unchanging Orientals. Technically it had its shortcomings, but it conveyed the proper information to its beholders and was serviceable and graceful decoration for Egyptian days. Extant paintings, the temples, palaces, and tombs of Egypt still reveal Egyptian painting in almost as perfect a state as when originally executed. The Giza Museum has many fine examples, and there are numerous examples in the museums at Turin, Paris, Berlin, London, New York, and Boston. An interesting collection belongs to the New York Historical Society, and some of the latest finds of the Egypt Exploration Fund are in the Boston Museum. Chapter II: Chaldeo Assyrian Painting. Books recommended. Babylon, Manual of Oriental Antiquities, Bodh, Monument in Inif, Budge, Babylonian Life and History, Dunker, History of Antiquity, Laird, Nineveh and its Remains, Laird, Discoveries Among Ruins of Nineveh and Babylon, Lenormand, Manual of the Ancient History of the East, Loftus, Travels in Chaldea and Susiana, Maspero, Life in Ancient Egypt and Assyria, Perot and Chippies, History of Art in Chaldea and Assyria, Place. Nineveh Assyria, says, Assyria, its palaces, priests, and people, Tigris-Euphrates civilization, in many respects the civilization along the Tigris-Euphrates was like that along the Nile, both valleys were settled by primitive peoples, who grew rapidly by virtue of favorable climate and soil, and eventually developed into great nations headed by kings absolute in power, the kin was the state in Egypt, and in Assyria the monarch was even more dominant and absolute. For the pharaohs shared architecture, painting, and sculpture with the gods, but the Sargonids seem to have arrogated the most of these things to themselves alone. Religion was perhaps as real in Assyria as in Egypt, but it was less apparent in art. Certain genii, called gods or demons, appear in the Bia's reliefs, but it is not yet settled whether they represent gods or merely legendary heroes or monsters of fable. There was no great demonstration of religion by four men color, as in Egypt. The Assyrians were Semites, and religion with them was more a matter of the spirit than the senses and energy in the mind rather than an energy metal or stone. The temple was not eloquent with the actions and deeds of the gods, and even the tomb, that fruitful source of art in Egypt, was in Chaldea undecorated and in Assyria unknown. No one knows what the Assyrians did with their dead, unless they carried them back to the fatherland of the race, the Persian Gulf region, as the native tribes of Mesopotamia do to this day. Art motives, as in Egypt, there were two motives for art illustration and decoration. Religion, as we have seen, hardly obtained at all. The king attracted the greatest attention. The countless BA's reliefs, cut on soft stone slabs, were pages from the history of the monarch in peace and war, in council, in the chase, or in processional rites. 
beside him and around him his officers came in for a share of the background glory. Occasionally the common people had representations of their lives and their pursuits, but the main subject of all the valley art was the king and his doings. Sculpture and painting were largely illustrations accompanying a history written in the ever-present cuneiform characters, but, while serving as history, like the picture writings of the Egyptians, this illustration was likewise decoration, and was designed with that end in view. Rows upon rows of partly colored bias reliefs were arranged like a dado along the palace wall, and above them wall paintings, or glazed tiles in patterns, carried out the color scheme. Almost all of the color has now disappeared, but it must have been brilliant at one time, and was doubtless in harmony with the architecture. Both painting and sculpture were subordinate to and dependent upon architecture. Palace building was the chief pursuit, and the other arts were called in mainly as adjuncts ornamental records of the kin who built, the type, form, color, there were only two distinct faces in Assyrian art one with and one without a beard, neither of them was a portrait except as attributes or inscriptions designated, the type was unendingly repeated, women appeared in only one or two isolated cases, and even these are doubtful, the warrior, a strong, coarse-membered, heavily muscled creation, with a heavy, expressionless, Semitic face, appeared everywhere, the figure was placed in profile, with iron bust twisted to show the front view, and the long feet projected one beyond the other, as in the Nile pictures, this was the Assyrian ideal of strength, dignity, and majesty, established probably in the early ages, and repeated for centuries with few characteristic variations, the figure was usually given in motion, walking, or riding, and had little of that grace seen in Egyptian painting, but in its place a great deal of rude strength, in modeling, the human form was not so knowingly rendered as the animal, the long eastern clothing probably prevented the close study of the figure, this failure in anatomical exactness was balanced in part by minute details in the dress and accessories, productive of a rich ornamental effect, hard stone was not found in the Mesopotamian regions, temples were built of burnt brick, B.A.'s reliefs were made upon alabaster slabs and heightened by coloring, and painting was largely upon tiles, with mineral paints, afterward glazed by fire. These glazed brick or tiles, with figured designs, were fixed upon the walls, arches, and archivolts by bitumen mortar, and made up the first mosaics of which we have record. There was a further painting upon plaster in distemper, of which some few traces remain. It did not differ in design from the B.A.'s reliefs or the tile mosaics. The subjects used were the Assyrian type, shown somewhat slighter in painting than in sculpture, animals, birds, and other objects, but they were obviously not attempts at nature. The color was arbitrary, not natural, and there was little perspective, light and shade, or relief. Heavy outline bands of color appeared about the object, and the prevailing hues were yellow and blue. There was perhaps less symbolism and more direct representation in Assyria than in Egypt. There was also more feeling for perspective and space, as shown in such objects as water and in the mountain landscapes of the Lapiae's reliefs, but, in the main, there was no advance upon Egypt. There was a difference which was not necessarily a development. Painting, as we know the art today, was not practiced in Chaldea Assyria. It was never free from a servitude to architecture and sculpture. It was hampered by conventionalities, and the painter was more artisan than artist, having little freedom or individuality. Historic periods, Chaldea, of a known antiquity, with Babylon its capital, is accounted the oldest nation in the Tigris-Euphrates.